It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 261, The Birth of John the Baptist and the Spirit of Prophecy. Luke 1.26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting how the New Testament starts with a jump start here with the named angel, Gabriel? I find it interesting how the angel here is named. I heard it say once that the Israelites were healed of idolatry in Babylon. Thus, we learn of the names of angels like Michael and Gabriel in the New Testament and in the book of Daniel Ford. It's an interesting thought, but clearly there's still idolatry which remains in the land. Our Bible has three named angels in it. The Apocrypha has many others, but the standard non-Catholic Bible only has three named angels. Michael, the warrior, commander of the Lord's armies, Gabriel, the messenger here, and Lucifer, the lead worshiper in heaven. Lucifer wanted to be God, and a war in heaven broke out, and he fell and became known as Satan or the devil from that day forward. These three angels, one could say, command each a third of the angels in heaven. And as the devil fell out of heaven, he brought with him a third of the angels, who later become known as demons, and they rage the earth and rule from spiritual dark places, causing deception and destruction on the earth through man who agrees via sin. The devil will later tempt Jesus, but I find it interesting how the Gabriel starts the account, not Michael, not the warrior, but the messenger comes with a message. Jesus will come with a message, a message of victory, a message of good news. And this, of course, message to kings. Jesus was impervious to the enemy's temptation, which we'll learn later. And no hand could be laid upon him unless it was permitted. And behind the veil, we have to believe there was armies of heaven guarding Jesus' every step. No darkness was allowed to touch him. Temptation was allowed but more of a militant showdown in the spirit to show his power over temptation and sin. Mary receives a visitation from the angel and goes into the standard spiritual fright. Luke 1, 29. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Other virgins state that the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one. This is an absolute understatement. Mary was chosen by God himself to bear the Christ child. There must have been something quite remarkable about her heart that made her the woman chosen by, from billions who walked the earth to bear the Son of Man. Luke 1.31 You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the promise of promises. Her son will basically be the Messiah. 
Luke 1, 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The, an- the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary, who was filled with great fear, now recovers and receives the promise. And in great faith, she actually charges in the spirit. I see her holding her heart and leaping forward in faith. Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, Mary was engaged to, to be married to Joseph, a carpenter. But if you look at the Greek, it actually reads tecton. Um, that was his profession. And I got this from a series and book called The Rock, the Road, and the Rabbi, where Kathy Lee Gifford and Rabbi Jason Sobel um, kind of discuss Jewish traditions and the account kind of misinterpretations. Um, this word tecton actually implies that Joseph was a builder, not a carpenter. And I find this interesting because many of Jesus' parables are about cornerstones and other aspects of building. I assume that night, or soon after, Mary becomes pregnant, and she knows something is different inside of her, and she goes to the only one who can make sense of anything. It was Elizabeth. After all, Gabriel told her Elizabeth was pregnant, and since he mentioned Elizabeth, that would be a clue of where to go. Thus she hurried and went to see Elizabeth. And we have to assume Joseph and her family was generally fine with her going. And maybe she told them she would go and assist with her childbirth and maybe even be a midwife. And when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, the exchange between the women is like a bomb going off in the spirit. Jesus, the son of God, is in Mary's womb. And she goes to see Elizabeth, who is pregnant with a son who carries the spirit of Elijah. I have to picture this as a supercharge going off in the spirit. I mean, let's try to put it in these terms. Many women have confessed there's no greater blessing than bringing a child into this world. It's a powerful manifestation of God's gift of multiplying on the earth. Now couple it with this thought. The spirit of Elijah, the gift of prophecy, is in Elizabeth and on her house. The result will be that Zechariah will prophesy and Elizabeth would do it out of her sheer connection to the anointed one, the future John the Baptist in her womb. Now, the other side of the equation, Mary, the pure, innocent, gifted, blessed one, gifted with promise and anointing, carries a literal presence of God. The unending, unrelenting power of God of the universe, the redemption of all mankind, the fulfillment of the law and the ages to come, the word in flesh in her womb. And when these two come into proximity... No, a bomb doesn't go off in the spirit. Not, a, not even a supercharge. It's a detonation. And it's just amazing to me the revelation one can even pull just from this one moment right here. They know the future of their children. These ladies, these ladies. It's like the prayer meeting of prayer meetings. Luke 1.39 At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary, who was starting to wonder, maybe, did did I have some crazy experience, right? I get a, you know, she's still human. Being human, she surely had some second thoughts or how strange and crazy this is that she would actually be bearing the son of God in her womb. And she shows up at Elizabeth and like the opposite happens. She's overcome with zeal and the spirit of prophecy when she encounters Elizabeth. Luke one forty six, And the header in your Bible probably reads Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Honestly, entire sermons could flow just from this song, um, this prophetic song that Mary sings. What I find interesting is the statement how the Lord brings down rulers from their thrones and lifts up the humble. My history mind wants to camp there for a long time, but not today. Now, our story pushes forward three months to the birth of John the Baptist. Luke 1.57 When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. And I just love this part. Zachariah is there, and he hasn't spoken in nine months, and you've got to know he's learned his lesson. He's now a man of faith. He knows the power of his words, and he's done a Joshua fast. He's gone around Jericho for nine months, not just seven times. And now it's time to shout out in the Spirit. Luke 1, 62. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the whole country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And now Zechariah burst into song. Another song. It's so amazing. Like There must be something about Zechariah's house. I, I even did a study to try to figure out if Zechariah was related to the sons of Korah. Uh, or something. You know, he, he's a Levitical line. There's something about him in, in worship because everyone's singing at their house. Maybe he or his wife was a worshiper, uh, but 
you know, and now you combine it with the prophetic gift and their son and the presence of God and Mary. It's just, everyone's just singing. Luke 1, 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel." Clearly, Zechariah declares his son will be a prophet. And not only this, he's going to be the one that will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him in the spirit of Elijah. Luke 1, 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly in Israel. Now John's going to have to have his own journey, and most likely he's going to actually go east into Arabia, um, but we'll cover more of that later. Um, and there's some key indicators like his clothes, um, some of the way he dresses and acts. Um, there's a there's some possibilities that he went east while Jesus would actually go to Egypt. Um, but we'll cover that later. So I was putting together this episode to share with everyone and asked Janelle, my wife, her opinion. And her answer was extremely profound. And we'll end this episode with her response to a a question I had for her. And I told her, we've got this scene where Mary, only days pregnant, and Elizabeth, six months pregnant with John the Baptist, has this moment where the baby in her womb leaps, and everyone seems to prophesy, and then they start singing, and something goes off in the spirit. And, And I told her, I must be missing just one more piece. There's something I'm missing. What is it? And her response is this. She said, this is one of, one of, the most pro-life messages in the whole Bible. And it is. It so is. While many in the medical community allow for abortions of up to so many months after inception, really the big question is, when does life begin? Here is Mary, only days pregnant, and the Spirit of God is causing another nearby baby to leap in its womb. Jesus told the disciples that even the children's angels see the face of God, Why not the angels watching over babies in the womb in their most vulnerable states? Some cultures count the age of a person from the date of their actual inception. So looking back in history, and specifically American history, and the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973, and without going into all the detail, um, the big question was, um, how can basic human rights be given to a fetus when we don't know when truly life begins? But it's clear, life begins at a conception. Just watch the documentaries. The progress in ultrasound technology updated the science just years later, after the Roe v. Wade decision. But the Supreme Court refuses to change the ruling. 
Just get your hands on an ultrasound or find the heartbeat of a child in the womb. Abortion's been legal since 1973 based upon faulty science and reasoning. And the only reason it still occurs is because the Supreme Court hasn't reversed their decision yet. It's plain as day, life begins at conception. And here is Jesus, only days in the womb. At one week, maybe, maybe Jesus was one week old by the time she arrived. And Jesus is already causing a disturbance in the spirit realm. Knowing life starts at conception, just to confirm it to us, God confirmed life as early as one week, or maybe only days after conception, and the story of Jesus. The Spirit of God is already moving, confirming life, and here is Mary, an unmarried and pregnant woman. Instead of going to hear what the world has to say, or going to Planned Parenthood, she's going to see family and serve others and believe in God's promises. She's now one of Elizabeth's midwives, helping in her delivery. In turn, God is moving in miraculous and powerful ways. Like Janelle said, this is one of the most pro-life messages in the whole Bible. And I can't help but end this episode by praying for our nation. God forgive us for missing the mark, for allowing abortion in our land, for allowing this in the name of convenience and faulty science. God, forgive our people for our bad decisions and reverse this one as soon as possible. Instead of dealing with us the way you've dealt with the Israelites in the past, with their horrible decisions and sins, forgive us, God, and heal our land. And instead, send a massive, wide-sweeping revival throughout the whole earth. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, shop at our affiliated store, etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash steadfast gifts. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.